And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, Dwalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome, everybody, to Season 3, Episode 7 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. We're going to dive deep into covenant structures and just how they will impact your growth looking forward. If it's about banking, you know who's going to be joining me behind the microphone. It'll surely be a note-taking episode to get your pad and pen ready for another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports, and as I teased in the introduction, we're going to be diving deep into covenant structures and really dissecting the way you want to think about um, the, the aspects of your loan structure on the overall growth of the business. And to do that with me today is my partner, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, you want to, you want to say hello to all the audience this morning? Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's, uh, this is going to be, um, I think a, a pretty heady podcast and, and maybe, um, maybe the way we're going to start this one today uh, is to draw a quick reference. Um, so before we get into the meat and potatoes of, of today's show, a couple of things uh, for the audience. Um, we see the download numbers going up. There are more and more of y'all uh, that are finding our podcast, downloading um, prior episodes. The growth of it's great to see. We really love it when y'all share podcasts amongst colleagues and, and we can see the download numbers growing. One thing I would tell you though, is that uh, for 2023, we expanded our our content uh, strategy overall. You all know about the podcast. That's one leg of the content strategy. Some of you uh, subscribe to our news feed. And if you do, you recognize that you are getting a blog per week that is not the same subject matter as the podcast. And for those who really like video and presentation type content formats, there is a link to uh, a new short form video, usually about five to 10 minutes in length uh, when we release the, the news feed. So for those who are in the podcast audience, I would highly encourage you to go to our website and sign up, uh, subscribe to the news feed. You'll get obviously a link to the podcast, which you probably already have, but you'll also get that week's episode of the blog. You'll get that week's um, uh, edition of the short form video that'll be a different subject matter than the blog or the podcast. You'll also get um, any current events on trade shows we're, we're attending or current events like um, conferences we're going to be hosting coming up. So it's really going to be much more informative. And for those that aren't subscribing to the newsfeed, I would ask that you do that to stay abreast of all the subject matter and the comings and goings within Polaris. So the reason I say that to lead off today's podcast is because some of 
the covenant structures we're going to be talking about today reflect a blog entry from January the 11th. You can find that on our website. Uh, and I did, I think it's the three covenant structures to know about your loan or something like that. Um, but basically in that blog entry, we talked about negative debt structure. We talked about prepayment penalty and we talked about material change in ownership. So those are the three topics on the blog worth you perusing. It's short form, pretty, pretty quick read, if you will. So that being said, let me turn the mic over to DeWalker and let's dive deep uh, first and foremost by talking about covenants. Like why, what are they? Why do banks have them? You know, when somebody borrows money from a bank, you know, it's 50 pages worth of documentation and we're responsible for all of it, but none of us read all of it. So what all is in there? What exactly are we are we signing when we borrow money? And what's the relevance of covenant structures uh, on our audience, DeWalker? Yeah, so I think in our January 11th uh, uh, blog, we kind of talk about a few that are uh, material to a lot of our audience members that I think most people just should be you know, cognizant of. And in our hopefully in our podcast today, we kind of go through the other issues that I think impact uh, how somebody grows. But I think you know we we kind of talk about the prepayment penalty. Um, you know the prepayment penalty is pretty standard in most loan documents. Um, you know some banks have five four three two one, some will have three two one. But that that becomes very impactful as far as an economic structure for you know between you and the bank. Meaning if you're only going to do one practice or three practices. That prepayment uh, penalty is really not as uh, meaningful or impactful because the bank has some you know provisions in there that you know if you leave them they make a pre you know they make uh, uh, income on that transaction because they have made certain assumptions the loan's going to be on the books with them for 24 months 60 months there's some mathematical formula of what they assume the average client to be on the books with now the fact that we're going in a rising rate market. And you know, you're uh, more than most of you that are not in an aggressive growth mode are not going to refinance your product from a four, four and a half percent product to a six, seven percent product. Um, so that's not going to be meaningful to you. Um, that said, you know, if you are in an aggressive growth model or you are in a growth model and you know your current bank is not structured to grow past three million in lending exposure or five or ten, depending on the institution you're with. Then the prepayment penalty becomes uh, a, a something for you to consider, and for that, I would contact us. Let us understand your loan documents, understand your growth strategy, and kind of provide you guidance on what that's going to mean to your specific situation. Um, I think the another one that I think a, a lot of our audience members need to be thinking about that I think is out there, and you've talked about this parent in the past, is about um, you know you talk about duct tape DSO. I call it duct tape lending. Um, Whereas somebody goes in and has a primary relationship with bank one, and then when they cap out with bank one, they go into bank two, bank three, bank four. Um, and I, I, would, I would encourage you know, our audience members to either, again, look at the loan documents or provide us a copy of the loan documents and let us understand if they have a negative debt covenant. And what that says in the, the loan agreement is that you know, without the consent of the bank, you cannot go out and secure additional debt. And you know, once you start getting to middle market lending, this is more applicable there, you start to see products such as subordinated debt. Uh, and we talk a little bit about that, 
on our, our blog in January 11th. So if you haven't read it, you know, I'll encourage you to kind of subscribe to our blog, go back and read that blog. I believe it's on our website um, that, you know, you kind of read through it. But subordinated debt essentially is a product where the bank says, okay, you can keep your loan with bank A at 4%. They'll have a first position security interest on your businesses. And we'll lend on this practice number two or five um, and we'll be subordinated on the ad additional debt. Well, if you have a negative debt covenant as part of your loan agreement, well, in that case, you know, you can't, you, if you go out there and secure the additional capital, you're technically in violation of your loan agreements. And the bank's going to have different remedies to resolve it as far as default provisions, raising interest rate, things like that out there. But, you know, you know, without getting into all those details, I would highly encourage people to not go out and do a duct tape loan. Uh, and not put yourself in a position where you're violating any covenants with your bank. I mean, I think uh, the first thing you do is, you know, go to your bank, have a reasonable conversation, present your financials. You know, these are the things that we do to and, and negotiate those aspects of continuing that lending relationship. If that's not working, I would go and see, hey, are, do they have an, are they opposed to getting a negative or another additional lending relationship? And most banks will be in the sub $10 million check size. Um, and if so, then you probably are looking at refinancing. I would not go out do a duct tape loan. And what what a neg the reason banks have negative debt covenants, is, the philosophy is, okay, if you go out there and secure an additional debt, you potentially are risking and uh, are putting our initial investment at risk or initial loan at risk. So the banks are very concerned around you securing additional debt when they're not comfortable you exceeding it because their logic is if we were comfortable with your business performance or financial performance. I'm not there to argue for the bank and say that's right, but that's their position um, that you know we don't want you to take out additional debt because we're saying no to it. Now, you may argue and say, or, and we've talked about it on our podcast, that some banks uh, limit their credit box. And so it might be a bank issue, uh, but I don't think you're ever going to see from a bank communication, well, our credit box limits us to 2 million or 3 million, um, and that's why we can't go beyond it. So I think the the best thing is to understand what your negative debt covenants are within your transaction are um, uh, have signed an agreement that has that and then work through that process. Again, if you don't know if you've signed it, give us the loan documents. We'll review it and tell you how we should be approaching it. And uh, the, the last one is going to be any material change of ownership in the in the business. Again, we talked about this in our blog on January 11th. So in most banks, you know, you have a 20% max 25% change in control. And so whenever you bring in a, a minority equity partner or material equity partner into your business, you know, at that point, the bank is going to want consent to, you know, uh, review that bar, uh, review that partner coming in. Uh, and in most cases, they're probably going to be okay with it. They might have you rewrite the loan. You have to be understanding or, or, um, or cognizant of if they are a material shareholder, meaning they're 15, 20% shareholder. Some banks will say, well, now we need him or her to guarantee our loan. Um, and if that person is not going to willing to guarantee the loan in that process, then the bank's going to want to understand how does that impact the cash flow position? Um, is their 20-25% ownership subordinated to the bank's position? Things like that. So all these things are taken into consideration from a bank's lens when they're looking um, at a you know change in control in the business. So that little bit of a highlight on January 11th. Um, again, happy to expand beyond it, but I I wanted to kind of connect on you know what we did there. Yeah, I, I think. Those are all uh, valuable insights and explanation. And for those in the audience, you know, let's just be honest with one another as, as much as we can be in this type of format. There are a lot of us that sign documentation to stuff and we don't read all of it. 
Okay. I mean, I, I, so if anybody's driving around their car or eating a sandwich in between patients or they're on the treadmill or something right now, and you know, you're kind of sitting there thinking to yourself, like staring at your lap, like, oh God, I don't even know what's in my loan documents. That that's probably more the norm than, than you would think. <laughs> so you're in good company. Uh, that being said, back to DeWalker's point, if, if this is going to be a year for growth, or if these next handful of years are going to be years for growth in terms of expansion and using debt funds to facilitate growth, you probably want to level set with, with what's in your existing loan documents, because that's the initial piece of how the game is played and, and what you need to think about how you need to deal with it. We do a lot of loan doc reviews um, for people that aren't clients. I mean, it's it's a cursory overview, but at least it gives some of our insight into to where you are and give you some things to think about. Um, and, and if you want to come back to us and have us renegotiate an entire package for you, we do charge for that, obviously. But just an, a high-level overview and initial pass at loans, we don't. So um, think about that. If you're not sure what's in your loan documents, what it means, uh, what the ticking clock on any of it is, that is uh, something we can facilitate with John Paul, our, our growth capital specialist. And he does that on a fairly frequent basis. So I volunteer that for those in the audience that might be kind of looking over their shoulder with a a lot of unknowns. So let's kind of transition the conversation from um, those those specific covenants to how uh, to to what the impact on growth can be from a limitation standpoint, uh, as well as how we think about you know forward-looking communication to the bank uh, in terms of overall responsibility, because this is this is really the nuts and bolts of it, and and where the impact. Um, uh, takes place. Do you want to do you want to kind of fillet some of that DeWalker? Let's talk about impact on growth and then the communication component as it relates to covenant construct uh, structures. Yeah, I think you know um ha- having a open dialogue with your lending institution is very, you know, uh, important. Uh, and we we recommend that to our clients that are you know sourcing capital through Polaris and or even if they are uh, directly engaged with their uh, bank is to you know go beyond just the uh, business development person or the commercial loan officer, and and you know get into an active dialogue with the credit risk team or portfolio management team to say hey here's where my business is um, I'm really not looking to leave you guys I'm looking to grow in the business and I like to understand how we can you know put some structure around our relationship to grow beyond where we are today um, so you know I th- I do things uh, uh, you know those are things that to um, have as have as far as open conversation with them. I think it's important to understand your covenants and how that impacts your growth. Meaning, you know, in the traditional lending space, you know, some banks will say um, our loan to revenue is seventy percent, our loan to revenue is eighty percent, things like that. And I think it's important to understand. Okay, so moving forward in the sub three million dollar loan space, um, you know, we're always going to be looking at our total revenue times seventy to eighty percent. That's our maximum lending exposure. That's going to be we're going to be exposed to. Uh, that doesn't mean the bank's going to automatically give you a loan as long as you're within 70 to 80% of your total revenue, because they still have to understand cash flow in the business, still have to make sure your existing business is operating. So if you're running your revenue at a 5% EBITDA, you probably won't qualify for a business at 70 to 80% of revenue. Because think about it, that's, you know, in that case, that's probably le- them lending 12 to 15 times on that practice. So the assumption traditionally ends up being around that you're running a business around it. 20% EBITDA. And so when we start looking at middle market lending, 
we start to say the same things there also, right? You know, we say four times EBITDA, you know, out there. Uh, but the you know other covenants to kind of think about that you you know when you're when you're looking at them is you know like for example debt service coverage ratio, you know or debt to income. I mean those are things that are material to the bank, and banks look at it more on a practice by practice basis, and also a global basis. Um, and and I kind of break down what global means and I kind of related to the mortgage industry. So um, I'm. I'm assuming that most of our audience members have applied for some kind of a mortgage. If not, this, you know, you kind of get a head start into when you do apply for a mortgage. Um, so when you apply for a mortgage, the way a traditional A paper mortgage uh, company looks at it, it says, okay, you know, you're going to fill out a mortgage application and they're going to ask a question, what is your annual income? And let's assume you're all W-2, you don't have any scheduled C or distribution income coming through. Uh, in that case, your gross income is 100000 and the bank may say your debt to income ratio max is going to be 25% or 30%. That means for every you know, $100,000 in income, the max annual loan payments that could be outstanding are $30,000. So how do the banks calculate debt to income on a mortgage? So first they're going to look at it and say, okay, what is the mortgage you're taking on? So let's say you know, you're applying, you're buying a $300,000 house. We've kind of talked about the rule of three in our previous podcast. You're buying a $300,000 house, you're putting 20% down. Your mortgage amount is about two hundred forty thousand dollars. So thirty, you know, eighty uh, percent of three hundred thousand is two hundred forty thousand dollars. And on that two hundred forty thousand dollars, your mortgage payment is roughly, let's say, about uh, fifteen hundred dollars to maybe eighteen hundred dollars, depending on taxes and insurance. So let's call it eighteen hundred dollars in taxes and insurance. Uh, so your limit again is three thousand dollars. Okay, with uh, uh, mortgage payments, tax and insurance, you're at eighteen hundred dollars. Okay, so now your delta is twelve hundred. Now the bank goes in and says, okay, what does your car payments look like? Anything on your credit report. So let's say you have a car payment, you have a Honda Accord, that's costing you $500 a month. You move up from $1,800 to $2,300. Now we're left with $700, okay? And then you, you might have other you know, student loans outstanding, other small installment debt outstanding out there. And if you get to $3,000 or less, then you've met the debt to income covenant of the mortgage company or the bank, and you qualify for the mortgage. Now, there's other variables of credit scores you're going to look at, um, uh, things like that. But overall, you qualified for the debt to income ratio of the, of the mortgage component. Similar logic goes into when a bank looks at your global debt service coverage ratio. Uh, and the global meaning, they're looking at personal and business. So um, if it was just personal income, that would just be a, a personal debt service. But this is looking at uh, business obligations and personal. Now, let's say, for example, you have a group practice that's, you know, grossing uh, $10 million in revenue. You know, you are practicing, um, you know, two days a week. And that two days a week, you know, you're producing $600,000 in, in uh, a year in, in, in collections. And so you're producing $600,000 in collections and you're paying yourself 30% of it. You're making $180,000. And then let's say, you know, you're you know, $10 million revenue business is netting, let's call it just to keep math simple, uh, a, a million eight in, uh, in EBITDA. Okay, so assuming you have a million eight in EBITDA plus your 180 in income, you're just about $2 million in uh, uh, income coming in. At that point, uh, the bank's gonna say, okay, so that's the $2 million in income coming in. And then from there, they're gonna look at your personal obligations. What kind of house do you have? Same logic. Uh, so let's say your monthly payments are on your mortgage are five thousand a month, so sixty thousand a year. 
Then they're going to look at any car payments out there. Let's say you have cars outstanding of another $1,000. So you're at seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 there. Uh, and then you may have student loan debt and your student loan debt might be an additional $20,000 a year. So you're at $100,000. So, so now the bank's going to say, okay, we know our client has $100,000 in personal fixed obligations reflected on his or her credit report okay, per year. That's the annual payments you have to make that are disclosed in your credit report. Now, all of us will have more obligations than that, meaning we probably have auto insurance. We probably have cell phone bills. We probably have utility payments for water, electric, gas, things like that. Now, the banks take those expenses, uh, plus any private school education, um, any uh, additional contribution towards uh, savings, things like that. So they're going to look at all those things and say, okay, you know, there's additional consideration in what is called a personal living expense allowance. Okay. And most banks will put in about anywhere from about, um, some will do zero uh, and they'll have different calculations on it. But most banks will say, okay, we're going to put in 10% of the total income coming in as personal living expense. If you're making $2 million in this hypothetical situation, you have $100,000 in fixed obligations or credit report. Your personal living expense of $100,000 would seem low. One would argue probably spending more than that. But most banks will do 10. Some will do 15. But let's, let's say 10. So now you have fixed obligations of $100,000 in your credit report. You have $100,000 in living expense. You're at $200,000. And you have about $2 million in income coming in. And then um, the bank will say, okay, we'll pay tax taxes out on that $2 million. You're making roughly around a million two. We're left with about a million two. Okay. And then they'll say, okay, how much in debt do you have on the business? And let's say you have a $6 million in loan outstanding on the business. And a $6 million in loan outstanding in the business, you know, your loan payments are, let's say, $70,000, $75,000 a month. So, you know, $70,000 puts you right around $840,000 in. Um, in, in uh, debt service. So, so then we take the $200,000 from your living expense and your personal plus the $840,000 um, in debt payments on the business. That would put you right around a million forty. Um, and we would look at it and say, okay, you're pulling it about a million two. So a million two divided by you know a million forty, it would show that your debt service coverage ratio is below a 1.2. In that case, a bank may decline your loan. Because most banks will say, we need you to have a debt service coverage ratio around a 1.2 to 1.3, maybe 1.35 in this space, depending on the type of uh, uh, debt you're looking at. So when you start to look at those, that broad range of covenants, you know, looking at how you're spending personally, and you may be looking at it saying, hey, I'm making $2 million, but, you know, and I'm only spending 200000 a year. I thought I was living a very conservative life, but what else is impacting is your business obligations, your annual debt service on it, okay? And again, in the other side, you may say $6 million in debt on a $10 million business. I'm only at 60% exposure on the business. You know, how is that not working for us? So this is how the banks look at your global cash flow within the business. So in this hypothetical situation, if you had $4 million in debt outstanding, okay, your payments are probably around 40000 to 50000 a month. That would put you around 50000 a month, put you at 600000 a year. Plus your two hundred thousand dollars in obligations between the credit report and living expense that puts you at eight hundred thousand dollars a year, and now if you take one point two million dollars divided by eight hundred thousand, now you have a global DSCR, global debt service cash ratio of one point five. 
And in, in that case, the bank would say, yes, we're going to do the transaction, right? Uh, we're very excited about the relationship. Of course, a lot of other things to go into the process to understand, you know, uh, balance sheet analysis on the business, things like that. Um, growth trajectory, performance of the business, any outlier aspects of performance of the business. But kind of giving you guys a basic look at de mortgage debt to income, global debt, uh, DSCR, kind of gives you the fundamentals of how banks look at cash flow when they're underwriting a transaction. So super valuable, very informative. Sometimes numbers are tough to follow audibly, let's face it. But I, I think um, those were pretty pretty basic examples for, for everybody. And here, here's the crux of why this is so important. When you're building a group practice, you have um, you know, you have some, I don't want to say a finish line, you have some outcome in mind. It could be a finish line based around the exit, or it could be a point that you want to build a bigger business that cash flows, you know, to some degree on an annual basis. The point is that you're you're building something with a purpose, with a reason, and and you have a number in mind. Well, if if that's the case, you're certainly going to use bank funds to achieve that outcome over some some number of years. It is incredibly important for you to understand how the bank evaluates the health of your business and the decision whether or whether or not to continue to lend to you. And you want to be able to forecast that outcome before you even ask the bank about borrowing more money. You want to know that you're in the good graces, that you're within the window, the, the range, the, the ratios, whatever their calculations are. You want to know that you're you're in a good place right here, right now, today. And you also want to know that if you take down this next acquisition, that you're still going to be in a good place even after you've acquired that business. And, and that's why being you for you to understand how the game is played and how the ratios are calculated on a forward-looking basis really helps you to govern the relationship, not be at the the whim of the bank. You want to understand that you're you're good now and you're going to be good after you acquire uh, this next practice and, and the leverage ratios still support all that. It's very much a forward looking uh, responsibility of yours as it relates to the overall communication protocols working with your lender. And that's why that's why this is critical to get right and to know where you stand today. So I think um, I think yeah, just that, to, parents yeah, want to add, you know, for some of the audience members, one of the things to consider and, and we do this for our clients that are our uh, our lending clients. So for a lot of the institutions we work with, we actually uh, sign off on the compliance certificates for the banks, right? So the banks will come to us and say, "Hey, can you please analyze this business and uh, you know validate the financial performance is in line with the covenants laid out?" So I think that becomes very meaningful for our, our ongoing relationships with some of our clients uh, that have engaged us for consulting services or capital solutions. Whereas we can tell them on a forward basis, or one on a real-time basis, communicate with their bank, and then more importantly, on a forward basis, be able to project to our clients the decisions they're making and how does that impact their lending relationship over the, over the horizon. And I, over the horizon, I call about 12 or 18 months. Things that we could probably see to you, but then just beyond, we may not be able to visualize how, uh, what the decisions mean. Yep. Yep. I, I think that's uh, that, that's critically important. And I think, you know, it's also... 
as we're talking about like forward looking stuff and everything, this is kind of timely because we're everybody's closing out 2022. We're recording this the first week of uh, of February. So, you know, everybody's if they haven't already gotten some level of financial statements from their uh, accountant, um, then then they're they're due for that. I would say rather imminently. So as we're kind of closing out year ending 2022 financial statements um, and evaluating where we stand with our our current bank or possibly multiple banks, um, how do we want to think about you know the, the context of uh, year ending financial statements and and the relationship going forward, Walker? Yes, I think you know for any audience members that are thinking of growing in 2023. Um, and beyond, you know, I would ask him to kind of engage us to kind of look at the financial picture, uh, help them analyze what happened in 2022, uh, where they are headed towards 2023, and and how they are aligned with their current lending institution. Meaning, I mean, if you're, you know, we'll do a compliance testing or, or covenant testing on your business. If we feel you're good with your covenants, you know, you're good on your loan agreements, we'll say, hey, you're good in the position. If you're looking at this one location in 2023, I think you're in a very healthy place. Stay with your bank, right? We don't want you to refinance from a four percent product or lower into a six percent product. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, so our goal always um, is to retain the relationship with the current lending institution, if at all possible. Um, it's the most cost prohibitive in all aspects of it. Uh, but you know, as we've said in our previous podcast, you know, in the event that you know we've exhausted that process, exhausted that option. Uh, we do want to uh, make sure those same you know members that are engaging us here that they understand. Okay, here's the cost that we're going to be taking on. Here's a journey we're going to be taking on for the decisions they want to be able to execute on in 2023, 2024. I think uh, you know 2023 is going to be a really pivotal year for people that can execute. You know, uh, uh, transaction volume is a little bit slower in the space. You know, I think uh, uh, we're starting to see. You know, obviously the jobs report came out pretty high. Uh, probably some level of a continued cost of capital increase on the Fed's funds rate. I think uh, I, I read this morning it could be anywhere from five and a quarter to five point four percent, and you know right now the range is I think just around four point seven five. So additional fifty basis points increase at least is what you know, all the content online is reflecting. Um, so I think as we start to look at those things, um, you know the ability to pivot in this market, execute. Um, in 2023 will be very meaningful for business going into 2024. I, I look at 2023, not to the same catastrophe as 2020, but businesses that did very well coming out of uh, COVID were businesses that could execute during COVID year, right? T- during 2020 and 20, and they, they really excelled in 2021 in form of acquisitions or de novos or you know building the right business. So you start looking at this 2023 year again and say, okay, now we don't have COVID, we don't have you know all those challenges in COVID, thankfully, you know, but we do have this you know additional rising rate capital market. We do have this, this continued labor market. You know, uh, inflation seems to be flattening out a little bit, coming down a little bit. So uh, hopefully, it continues down that downward trend. Hopefully, we have a soft landing here going into Q2. Um, and but I think businesses that are positioned well, thinking beyond the soft landing in Q2. I think it's going to be in a very um, uh, a significant position to take advantage of that market turning. Yeah, agreed. We've been trying to to stress that uh, for the people in the audience. Um, they, they've heard us bang that drum a lot. We think this is going to be a, a great opportunity for our target clients and, and the way they uh, work through the process of 
you know, setting up the foundations for growth and executing upon that. So let's wrap today's episode uh, with some key takeaways here. Um, and I think there are several. Uh, one, if you are in the audience and you're kind of looking sheepishly in the mirror or staring at your lap or looking over your shoulder about not knowing the, the full context of your loan documents, you got to get clarity on that. And and we're happy to help with it. Take a pass at it. There's no charge to do it. So just consider that as an option for you, a, a review of the loan docs that you have. Um, the second thing that would be uh, impactful, I think, is a more formal financial review of the business to understand the you know the the EBITDA volumes uh, certainly some low hanging fruit in terms of improvement, um, and and the ability to to think about where you stand and what the growth strategy looks like. We do this for consulting clients. It goes without saying, um, but that is something for uh, for people to consider in the audience. And then the third thing would be taking the two of those the you know loan docs and financial review and kind of combining them together to evaluate. Um, the likelihood maybe of switching costs as it relates to who your, your lender is to carry you through the next overall phase of growth. And, uh, you know, I think to Walker between the three of those, this is the, the year to, to, or this is the point in time to ideally get clarity on all of that and, and think it through from a con context of how they all work together. But do you want to add any just sort of uh, concluding thoughts on any of those aspects or, or any others as we wrap up today's episode? Um, no, I mean, I think you, you said it well, right? I mean, I think, you know, uh, I, I would encourage the audience members to kind of, you know, let us, you know, eyeball, you know, connect with JP. I mean, we're definitely happy to eyeball anything and provide guidance to anybody and to kind of, you know, just kind of give them a sense of confidence, right? Okay, you're in a good place, stay with it. And I would say, um, even last year, parent, you know, probably 20%, I, I want to say maybe 30% of the people that did engage us to, or, I'm sorry, just wanted us to eyeball their loan documents. We probably told them, hey, you're in a good spot. Stay with your institution. Um, it, there's not any material things that are happening in your business to kind of create that position. Uh, the other 70% probably say, okay, this, these are the considerations you want to be thinking about. And then, you know, we're happy to look at a full analysis in the business. But I would you know, kind of engage us to look at the full 2022 performance, you know, and tell you, okay, here's your business performed. Here's the value of your business. Here's the equity and balance sheet. Here's how equity, and we're going to talk about that in future episodes. Here's how the equity and the balance sheet works towards, you know, your lending relationship moving forward or, you know, any other aspects of growth when you're offering, you know, partnerships. And I know in the subsequent months, we're going to kind of go into partnerships and uh, creating mergers in the business, things like that. And I, I think unfortunately, I think some of the communication pattern we see from a lot of our audience members is that I think over time now, I think a lot of our audience members understand what equity is, is in their balance sheet, uh, especially with a lot of the mergers that we're looking at in this space. Um, I think it's been very meaningful for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I would echo that. We've been we've been banging on that equity on balance sheet, the value of your business context, a, an awful lot, and I think that's starting to resound with a a number of people um, in, in all the right ways. So really good to see a lot of entrepreneurs shifting gears and playing the game at a higher level. So all all good stuff. This was a meaty episode. I, I knew it was going to be a, maybe a little bit longer than we typically uh, go, but there there wasn't really a point where we could break some of this or stop, you know, without losing train of thought. And and for those that uh, 
that we're running long on the on the treadmill today. You got a, you got some bonus time from us. And for those that were trying to get in a normal episode in between patients, it might have been two or three patients to cover all this. But hopefully, uh, a lot of it fit together and made sense. If you do have questions around any of this, um, feel free to drop me uh, an email directly at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com, or you can reach to Walker at DeWalker at polarishealthcarepartners.com. And DeWalker is D-I-W-A-K-A-R. Uh, Perrin is P-E-R-R-I-N. And John Paul, our growth capital specialist, is John, J-O-H-N, uh, at uh, polarishealthcarepartners.com. We'll link to all that in the show notes uh, for those that would like some time on a, a basic review or anything along those lines. And like I say, happy to help. If you've got other questions on any other topic, don't feel shy about reaching out and uh, and pinging any of us. Happy to uh, talk one-off or even make a, a new episode of it. Stick around. We'll, we'll be back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Well, I hope you all found that to be uh, really educational uh, and informative. Sincere thanks to my partner, DeWalker Sinha, for joining me on the show today. He's always a wealth of information, generally speaking, and certainly as it relates to the world of banking um, and, and really given all of you insights into how to run a better business and be more predictable in your ability to scale. Uh, as we conclude today's show, uh, two quick announcements. One, um, you may have seen on social media by now uh, that the uh, Building Your Enterprise Platform Conference is live. This is the one that we teased uh, a couple of times and several of you have asked about. Uh, it is going to be May 10th through 12th in Fort Lauderdale, uh, and it is really targeted at those building a, a five to 50 plus location type of a group. We do so much around the emerging space, the one to five location, and that's that's a fun space to be in. It's a entry-level business building, and you can really build a great cash flow business. But if you want to take it to the next level um, and, and truly build an enterprise, that means centralizing administrative functions, building a call center, recruiting a C-suite team, all that kind of fun stuff that allows you to go from five or six locations to go confidently to 20 and up if that's what you want to build. This is going to be a conference targeted at those that want to take that journey. And I, I hope for, for those who are interested in it, you'll come and spend a couple of days with us in Fort Lauderdale in May. It's going to be great. You're going to be uh, uh, getting a lot more information through the podcast, as well as through our news feed, social media channels, and everything else about it. Uh, so definitely carve out that time, and hopefully we can even link to something in the show notes on it. Um, another announcement is yet another new addition to our data and analytics team. Morgan Michaela is uh, is going to be is has joined us. Excuse me. Uh, she comes from the world. Uh, of investment banking, having worked up in uh, Manhattan uh, and is going to be moving to Charlotte in the coming month or months, I guess. So you will uh, get an opportunity uh, for our clients, at least y'all will get an opportunity to meet Morgan uh, in pretty short order. She is going to be um, a great addition to our team, it really brings a little bit of a different skill set to our team from our traditional banking analysts too. So uh, we're always looking for varied backgrounds and different perspectives into how we can uh, run our data and analytics um, even at a higher level than what we are right now. And, and we're excited about having her on board. Our team is is growing very quickly here at Polaris and 
there, there are going to be a few more additions to the team coming up too. So more great information to, uh, to share as it relates to our growing business. And hopefully that's a compliment to your growing business as well. Thanks again uh, for joining us on the show today. If you've got questions about anything we cover from a subject matter standpoint or specific to the episode, you can always drop me a line directly at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.